0: everyone, and welcome to The Finance Show with Joe. My name is Joseph Dalwood. I'm an economist, I'm a mathematician, I'm a mortgage broker, and I am the founder of It's Simple Finance. Today, I'm very excited to introduce one of my guests because he's a gentleman that actually works at It's Simple Finance. He's possibly got the most five-star Google reviews out of anyone in the It's Simple Finance crew. He is our most beloved broker and one of our favourite dog trainers as well, and we'll get into that a little bit afterwards. I would like to welcome Yaya Jassim. Yaya, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Joey. Um, getting a pretty big head, to be honest, with that introduction. So let's hope the rest of the podcast follows through. Oh, we
0: we do have to gas you up. I always love introducing who's part of the team, and I love having people from the team on the show because. People could actually see who we are. They could delve into our personality a little bit more and they can understand that we're not just brokers, but we're people on the other side too. So I want people to get to know you, man. I want them to love you the way that I love you. You know That's what I it, mean? That's it, mate.
1: That's <laughs> it. And hopefully with the reels we're producing, they'll have a few laughs and get to know us a bit better through this.
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. tell me, how did you initially break into the property market? How did you step into the world of broking as well?
1: So I don't know how far back you want me to go, but um, I'll do a long story short. So I studied um, criminology and criminal justice, and I wanted to do policing, go into the federal police, and had my whole career mapped out. Um, I do have some back injuries, so unfortunately that wasn't to be. So all of a sudden I had a uni degree with not much to do. And um, a friend of mine who we both know, Michael Menken, uh, was working at Citibank at the time, working in customer service and credit cards. He asked me if I wanted to join him and give it a try. And I did. And I actually really enjoyed it, was there for a couple of years. And then I made the jump across to St. George Bank as a credit analyst. So my job was essentially assessing the application, online applications submitted by brokers and making a decision on them on whether it's approved, declined, or we need any more information on that. I was doing that for about 12 months. And then I moved into a team leader role where I pretty much did um, any exception approvals. I had high authority. And I did that for the last uh, five years, roughly. So pretty much had a good grasp of assessing applications, looking at mortgages in general. And after about five years, it was time for me to do something different. And I thought, let me try being on the other side of the fence. And that's when I joined here at It's Simple. And yeah, haven't looked back since. Tell me, what's the
0: difference between the credit analyst role and then the broker role? Because it always seems like we're at war with the other side and making that transition is not an easy task.
1: No, I'll I'll tell you the biggest difference, honestly. Uh, And I know a lot of people or a lot of banks would disagree with it. When you are working at the bank, clients are a number. Mm -hmm. You don't get to see them. You have no interaction with them. Your interactions are with the brokers. So whether you're getting Yaya, you're getting Joey, you're getting Michael, or you're getting ETC, You know these are just they're just names. You're you're really referring to them as an application number. Uh, what's the application number? That's how you generally refer to them. So there's no that you try to help them out. You try to do your best. But at the end of the day, there's no emotional connection to it. Being on the other side is completely different. You're there literally from the start from answering the most basic questions about um, what's a home loan? How do I apply? Where do I get started? And you're on you're with them the whole journey until settlement. And you even get text messages like, you know, couldn't have done this without you. And that actually means a lot Where as a, when you're working at the bank, to be honest. It's just more of a, yep, approved, the client, move on. There is no emotional attachment to the individual, to the application. Even when it's urgent, you try to do your best, but you don't have that same urgency as when you're a broker and you get in the call directly from the client. Wow.
0: You're now client-facing mm. and you're not the person that's dealing with a broker on the other end. Could you give us a little bit of insight as to how – that has affected you mentally. Mm. Have you enjoyed the process a little bit more? Have you found
1: it more rewarding as opposed to application, move on, application, move on? Look, um, in terms of um, I enjoy it a lot more. I do, but at the start there was, a, there was an adjustment period. Um, you're used to talking in jargon and you speak to brokers all the time. That was the only people I spoke to. So my clients were mortgage brokers. Or, um, and when I was a team leader, it was my staff. So we always spoke with bank jargon. And when you're speaking to a first home buyer and you realize I'm speaking a different language to them, when you're telling him your servicing is not quite there yet, that means nothing to them. So you got to change and go, your borrowing capacity. And then they'll ask you questions about, so how did you, how was is, how is that calculated, my borrowing capacity? And it's things you don't really think about that often because everyone you interact with knows the lingo that you use. You know, when you're saying to someone, uh, your commitment cover ratio is one, and they're asking, so my what? So all that stuff was very, very different. Um, the first couple of client interactions, may I'll probably use this platform to apologise. I must have, they must have looked at me going, "What is this guy on about?" <laughs> and it just takes you a while. Sometimes you get the looks of just awkward silence, where it's looking at you, trying to process what you just said, and they're not sure if you know. They're probably thinking, "Am I stupid, or is he just speaking a different language?" Yeah. So that took a, a fair bit of adjustment, to be honest, to get there. But now it's, it's my favourite part, and especially when you do the first meeting with the clients. And then they come back and you're delivering a settlement pack and say, hey, congrats. You know, if you need anything, we're here for you. I think that that's been honestly the most rewarding part about it.
0: That's definitely amazing. So you touched on something a little bit earlier. You were speaking about first home buyers. Do you have any first home buyer success stories that you could lean in on? And we do have permission for some names to be used, so... You could go ahead and name names. <laughs>
1: yeah. Look, um, I'll try not to use names, but I'll probably end up dropping their name in there somewhere in between. And if we get their permission perfect, if not, we cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> we can beep it. We can yeah, beep it. Yeah. We, we beep it. Um, so I had clients when I first met them, they were just asking about the whole process, how to even get into the property market. They had a few plans on the horizons. They had a wedding coming up and they had a few things on. So we had that initial conversation told them roughly your borrowing capacity at this stage is this. Now that could change with interest rates and so on. They were very understanding. We spoke about how much savings they need, the government schemes that are applicable to them, and pretty much put a a plan in place as to what they need um, to achieve after their wedding and in order to be able to get into the property market. Well, to be honest, they were absolutely brilliant. And straight after the wedding, you know, you get some money back after your wedding. So that's always good. Yeah. And they were able to get uh, to come to me and say, okay, we're now ready to yep. take that next step. Uh, we, went, we went to the bank. We went through the government scheme. Um, it was called FHLDS back then, which is now the First Home Guarantee. So these First Home Buyers, they
0: use the First Home Guarantee, you said. Could you give us some insight as to what the First Home Guarantee
1: is? Essentially, I'll start before I deep dive into that quickly. I will just say what mortgage insurance is. Generally speaking, whenever you're borrowing more than 80%, you are required to pay what we call LMI or lender's mortgage insurance. That insurance is a premium that you pay for. Uh, you can pay for it upfront or it gets added on top of your loan, which you will pay interest on. And it only protects the bank in case you default on your mortgage, and they go to sell their prop- uh, your property and they cannot recuperate the money they lent you. Mm-hmm. So, in that instance is fairly rare, to be honest. However, the premium is still there. The premiums are high. It depends on how much you borrow, in terms of percentage wise. Let's say if your house is a million dollars and you're borrowing nine hundred and fifty thousand, so ninety five percent, that mortgage insurance can be in in the tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. Can be. I've seen them thirty thousand. I've seen them even more. Yeah. So the the government introduced the first home guarantee, which is previously called FHLDs, where they act as a guarantor for you, and you only have to put down a five percent deposit. And you pay no mortgage insurance. Mm -hmm. The only catch with that is only certain lenders are enrolled to sign up for um, for using Mm -hmm. that that scheme, and they act on your behalf. Basically, yeah, they I'd say just guarantee you personally, so you don't have to pay any mortgage insurance.
0: Have you seen many first home buyers use this scheme?
1: Majority of the first home buyers, to be honest, now that I've seen, have either gone through this scheme Mm -hmm. or gone through something like the parent guarantee um, guarantee. With, the- which is the family pledge.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So when the, the parents come in as a guarantor.
1: That's right. Okay, fantastic. Right. The reason being it's just becoming increasingly hard with interest rates now mm-hmm. uh, and with the interest rates uh, and also with people renting. So it's very hard to save for a deposit. So you kind of need some assistance by, by way of government or family, whichever is more suited for you depending on your situation. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that actually brings me to my next question, which is what trends have you seen in the market recently? Interest rates have come up significantly. I think it's 4% extra than what we were paying last year. Uh, I know on my own, on occupied property, I'm paying 6.10%, whilst last year I was paying 1.99%. Like it's chalk and cheese how much the difference is. So with the buyers, have we noticed a major
1: shift in the way that they're acting with the interest rate changes? Oh, huge, huge. Um, And I'll give you an example probably going back a little bit more than 12 months. So the start of last year before the rate hikes, I, I attended an open home with a friend in Glen Alpine, which is an area in the Campbelltown region for those um, wealthy clients that haven't heard of it <laughs> 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 or wealthy listeners. It's in the Campbelltown region uh, in the Southwest. Yeah. And I went to an open home with him and I could not believe it. Honestly, there was over 60 people and it was lined up all the way outside mm-hmm waiting to see the house for an open home. I've never seen anything like that. And it was a standard house. You know, you're not talking about an acreage with a pool and and a big backyard. It was a decent, about 500 squares property, four-bedroom standard, but there was that much demand on it. Mm-hmm. The reason being is the interest rate was low, and borrowing capacity was through the roof, and a lot of people looked at it and thought, I can afford the repayments on that. It's not that high. And we ended up waiting for about 10 minutes, and he said, no, I'm not doing this. And we we left without even checking the house. And last uh, last week, I actually went to an open home with a friend of mine who's also a client. And there was, in comparison, about 10 people. And maybe out of those 10 people, only two or three will bid. Whereas the other one had about 60 people, maybe they'll receive 20 offers. And you quite hear the term of buyer's market versus seller's market. Well, back then, it was a seller's market because you have 60 people. And out of those 60, maybe 20 will put in a bid, Mm -hmm. maybe 10. Whereas now you've got about 10 people checking the house and maybe three will put in a bid. So it's not as competitive. Uh, Buyers are more aware of their finances. They're a bit more uh, wary of, you know, what if the interest rate goes up? Can I afford it? Can I not? Uh, The other thing that contributes to it is the panic caused by the media. Mm -hmm. So the media is telling you it's all doom and gloom. It's going to keep coming up. You're not going to be able to afford it. And that impacts especially 1st home buyers thinking, I don't want to buy now. So they hold off for a year or two. And then they come back again. Well, they're in the same. They're they're in a worse position because now houses are about 100k, let's say, more expensive, Mm -hmm. but their borrowing capacity and their income hasn't changed to match that.
0: It's insane, isn't it? It's the 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 craziest thing to me is the shift in how the open homes are working now. So previously, you'd go to an open home for sales, and you would see 60 people. Let's use your previous example. You'd see 60 people there, 20 people have got a bid. And, you know, of the 20, you know, the price is going to be inflated. Now it's on the other end. It's the rental open homes that have 30 groups coming in and people try to outbid each other. And the reason is the interest rates are so high they can't actually muster up either save a deposit or they can't actually make the repayments on an apartment of that size. So you're seeing whilst it is a, buyer's market and there's going to be a lot less people competing for the purchase of the property. It's an investor's market where you're going to be able to either get an extremely good positive return on whatever you purchase, or you're going to be able to negative gear the shit out of yourself because your interest rates are so high. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's it's crazy to actually see that, that shift that has happened in the last year. So You know, I do think that the government has to step in and do something about this, maybe allow for more developments to be approved, possibly decrease the amount of uh, restriction on building at the moment because we've seen that pulled back so much. We've seen the supply of actual properties come down significantly.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I know in certain areas, so for example, speaking, again, going to the Southwest, I have a friend who owns an apartment in Liverpool Mm -hmm. and it's actually rented for less money now Mm -hmm. Than it was pre-COVID. And the reason being is they have so many apartments going up there. Mm-hmm. So smack bang in Liverpool CBD, you're probably uh, pre-COVID, it was rented 490 90 per week. Mm-hmm. And I think at the moment it's rented for about four seventy. Now for the last year and a half, it was rented for, for about four twenty because during COVID, he couldn't really get any tenants in. It was vacated, vacant for a while. Mm-hmm. So you, you're seeing that you do need a bit of that, to be honest, to make the rental market a bit more competitive for people people buying, mm-hmm. but in areas where there's not an apartment, um, this supply of apartments where only you've got houses, that's when you're seeing rentals going through the roof. And for a lot of people, their rent is pretty much a mortgage repayment. Yep. I have a couple of friends who are renting uh, a property and their their rentals about 800 a week. Wow. So that's almost almost a mortgage depending yep. on what you're getting yourself. Yeah,
0: I, I have a client right now, their rental income has increased by $140 per week. In the last two years, they went from 750 to 890 okay? That's how much rental income they're getting off this property. And the reason is the agent is just calling them up and saying, well, we can achieve this price, you know, do you want to go for it? And obviously, if you're a landlord, you've got bills to pay, your costs are going up, your interest rates are going up, you're going to say, yes, I'm, I'm going to try and get that extra money, which leads me to a question, how – Or what advice do you have for 1st home buyers out there to be able to get out of the rental market and into the sales market and potentially save a deposit? Do you have any advice that you can give to our
1: 1st home buyers out there? Look, a couple of things. First is, as always, always review your expenses and cut out the unnecessary stuff and try and save a deposit the traditional way. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that's a lot easier said than done. The other option, so if you've got if you're able to save and you can get a five percent, obviously that opens up a lot of doors for you with a lot of banks, a lot of government schemes. The other option is if, let's say, you've got a family and your rent is big and you're not in a position to save up for a deposit, but you are in a position to you know make repayments because the repayments and your rent aren't that different, then maybe have a chat to a broker and see if they can get you through a family guarantee. So that's if mum and dad have a property that has a lot of equity in it. You know they can support you, and you don't actually need to have a deposit at all. Wow. Right. The bank will lend you um, your full purchase price plus costs. So they will lend you 100% of your purchase price, stamp duty, and legal fees. Right. The only thing is you got to make sure of are uh, you able to meet your repayments, and that's done through the you know calculating your borrowing capacity. And even then, sometimes if you can get a let's say gift, for example, if the parents are happy to help you in the way of giving you cash we can use your rental history for the past 12 months as evidence of quote-unquote genuine savings. Wow. As long as the bank can see Joey can afford his mortgage, his rental repayments without any issues, and that is the reason why he hasn't been in a position to save up 5%, they are happy to use that as well. So there's multiple options out there. It's just about getting it out there and having a chat. Uh, when you have a chat to any finance specialist, the worst they can tell you is, no, you're not eligible, mm-hmm. right? So there's no... There's nothing really bad about it. Nothing goes on your credit report, especially now. I'm seeing a lot more people um, over aware of their credit reports. Oh, this is going to go as an inquiry on my credit report. Yeah, but that doesn't change much. But if you have 15 inquiries in a year, yeah, that's going to drop your credit credit history sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. So with our first home buyers, the yeah. couple that we brought up earlier, did they know this information? Is this information accessible or do you think the government's not doing enough? Like they're putting the schemes out there, but they're not actually giving people access to this information. And in saying that, what's the best way for them to get educated?
1: Look, I think in terms of promotions, I haven't, I've seen lenders promote it. I really haven't seen anything from the government promoting it. There is, I haven't seen any ads on TV saying, hey, we've got these schemes for you. Go ahead and do it. You're seeing bits and pieces on news. But mostly, the, the really, the advertising has come from lenders directly. Mm-hmm. The best way to do it, have a chat, chat to finance a broker and just say, here's my income, here's my documents, what schemes am I eligible for? And the worst case scenario is, if you're not eligible for it now, they at least give you a roadmap what to aim for in terms of savings, income, and that will let you know, for example, come back in three months, come back in six months. And that's what happened with our clients who had a wedding coming up and they literally came back three months after. And they were in a position to buy and they
0: went head on board. So we've spoken a lot about first time buyers, but we haven't spoken much about people that already have home loans, people that might be struggling with these rates going up. We've heard a lot about a potential recession as well with all these rates coming up and people possibly defaulting on their loans. So you as a mortgage
1: broker, what advice do you have for people to make themselves recession proof? As much as possible, tackle the big debts with the highest interest rates. The most common thing I see is people misusing credit cards. Do not transfer money out of your credit cards. That's a cash advance. You're probably paying 22% interest on that. The other thing is if you have a credit card and you're making the minimum repayment, you're probably paying anywhere between 12 to 15% interest. And I see a lot of clients doing that. They come to me and I show them the statements, so and they're really not aware of that. Start by tackling these things. Do You pay off that credit card or paid off in full every time you use it, then you're in a position to save up money. You're not paying interest. Then you can focus more on paying more money into your home loan with any additional money that you've got. Mm -hmm. And having cash savings. That's the most important thing to be recession-proof. Assets, assets, assets. So have cash savings, um, pay off your mortgage as much as possible, and put yourself in a position that if anything changes, you do have something to fall back on. But that all starts with better than saving money, you're better off paying off your highest um, interest debts. So you can put $20,000 in a you know, a saver account and that pays you 4 to 5% interest. But if you've got a credit card that's $10,000 and you're paying 24% interest because you accidentally transferred money out of it, you're not really saving anything, right? So my advice is just tackle the biggest debts you've got and then start having assets or paying off your mortgage as soon as you can.
0: This is all fantastic information, Yaya. Now, I do want to get on to something that's a little bit more fun.
1: Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit
0: about your dogs? Oh, <laughs> Riot and Kobe. How long How long have we got on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you heard earlier, Yaya he was training to become a member of the Shahi Federal Police. He was studying criminology. And if you see these two beautiful puppies, okay, I call them beautiful puppies because all dogs are puppies to me. One's a German Shepherd and one's a Rottweiler.
1: That's right. And yeah. could, you,
0: could you give us a little bit of insight as to their personality? Who are they? And, you know, are they are they basically your children at this point?
1: Yeah, look, they. I, I love my dogs, obviously. They, they're they my favourite thing in the, in the world apart from my wife. <laughs> Had to put that Save in there. Save yourself there. Had to put that in there. So – I firstly got Kobe during COVID yeah. and I was, it was the best thing I've ever done. You know, during lockdown that all went by as a breeze when you've got a puppy in the house and he's a Rottweiler. He's three years old now. And I bought him just as a pet. Mm-hmm. I loved Rottweilers. I love looks of them. I loved everything about them. And I was just doing basic training with him, play obedience, nothing really didn't have anything in mind. And then the, the breeder actually introduced me to a dog sport called IGP. And I had no idea what IGP was. Now, don't ask me what it stands for. It's a really long German words. I don't know what it stands for. And I went in there and I loved it. And I got to see dogs doing, just being the happiest they've ever been in their lives. And yeah, I started doing the sport with him and I really enjoyed it. But I love him to death. He's not really made for that. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's doing his best, but putting a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. So I went and got a German shepherd who's purposely bred for the sport. Okay. And yeah, she's a lot of fun but she's very difficult to live with. Yeah. She's very high energy dog, has no off switch. She's in constant go, go, go mode. So they're very different personalities where Kobe can just lay there and do nothing all day. She can't sit still for about 10 seconds.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Where can our listeners find you?
1: Thanks Joe. I really enjoyed it as well, mate. Uh, if you need to reach out, you can always reach out through It's Simple Finance page. There's It's Yaya Jassim on Instagram as well. And um, give me a call on my phone number, zero four one two two four eight six five eight, 48658. And we'll always be happy to help. You can also find us at
0: www.itsimple.com.au, And you can also find me at It's Joseph Dalwood, or you can follow our Instagram page as well, It's Simple Finance. Yaya, thank
1: you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Joe. Perfect.